It's much more outside. You know, I'm saying I, I, I am, I am blasphemy itself. You know, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I, I, I... Welcome everybody to Signal Process presented by Program Change. This week, we're joined by vocalist, producer, and author Reese Langston. Reese has a talent for pairing acerbic commentary on race and class with a diverse musical approach that's rooted both sonically and philosophically within the cultural framework of hip-hop. He's also an author with a terrific book titled Language Arts Unit that expounds upon the socio-political themes found within his album of the same name. Reese's upcoming album, titled Stalin Bollywood, finds him expanding his musical palette to incorporate the sounds of post-punk as a new medium through which he can deliver his unique and insightful worldview. Reese spoke with us extensively about a variety of topics, ranging from the inception of his latest album, recorded during the lockdowns of 2020, his views on the future of live performance, and his thoughts on the intersection between genre and race. I'm incredibly excited to share this conversation with Reese Langston. To begin, here are some of Reese's hopes for live music's immediate future. I want more noise complaints in the future, um, in the sense of like, I just, yeah. As much as we can, you know, I'm someone who likes to be respectful and disrespectful at the same time, I guess. So, like, you know, blow up a spot, like, open up a house, install a sound system in there, play shows that way again. I think, unfortunately, realistically looking at it, a lot of the venues that have turned over ownership and hands or places that have closed or whatever, you know, um, there was a story on it, and I know it came out somewhere, so I don't think I'm reaching that Live Nation was buying out a lot of these places, um, the smaller venues. So basically Live Nation is a deal, you know, is in bed with, you know, major labels. I don't know which ones. So it's basically like, you know, what would be the transitional, you know, stage from like an open mic place to like a, a someone's first gig, you know, that's going to be all completely, those transitional venues are going to be all completely, at least, I mean, it seems like uh, uh, completely dominated by, you know, these uh, um, upstart acts that already have backing. Um, so I think I'm interested in places, you know, like, I don't know, like, you know, the homie Mickey has a garage that people play jazz out of there in Inglewood. Um, they played a few shows there. Um, you know, I know uh, a Baraka, you know, who I think we met at his... Um, uh, uh frankie jack's nomad you know he goes by that uh rap name uh you know he he's on his he was doing no evil for a while i mean you know backbeat la was doing stuff i can shout out a bunch of other things bananas you know i see because maybe spaces might be closed spaces might be bought out you know like we're gonna have to just just fuck it let's just get more noise complaints let's open up a backyard let's do more like boiler rooms without the publicity like without the you know without without the name boy the room let's you know let's, let's use let's yeah. get a bunch of people in a room I, I mean hopefully it's safe to do that you know with disease and shit um i, I don't know that's that's what i see just i'm hoping that there is some meritocratic edge to you know uh people who will look at these new places but if not you know we just got to use backyards we got to use mm -hmm. um big living rooms of you know homies who have more means than us uh yeah. and uh really just like 
recontextualize spaces, I think. I think there's going to be, particularly because the vaccines are opening up, I think there's going to be a lot of backyard shows this summer. I yeah. feel like it. I feel like there has to be people that just like want to get out. I think it's happening out. now. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least, yeah. I mean, certainly outside of LA, it's been happening even, mm-hmm. even at the heights of the pandemic. Um, right, 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 right. But well, uh, I think even yeah. here, it's it's happening. It, it's starting to sort of build. And, and I agree, I think by the summer, there's going to be um, maybe not an explosion, but you're going to see an expansion for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for all my fears, I'm not going to say no to uh, an opportunity like that. I mean, shit, I, I do it. I, I love performing and, you know, that makes it hard to feel any progress right now is because like most of the times I'll perform and, and I've changed my writing process because like I'll perform songs that I haven't recorded yet and I'll learn how to deliver them live and then take them and like record them kind of with the, with the many feelings and be like, oh, that works there. That works there. Like, let me plug out the... Yeah, which is crazy because, I mean, your latest project sounds so performable to me. Like, it feels very live-friendly, which Mm. I don't know if that's met with some degree of frustration, but was sounds like this is kind of intentional. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I wanted to explore the different uh, musical influences that I feel like I didn't have the uh, ability to until I got a little bit more savvy, um, until I felt a little bit safer, until I did what I wanted to do within a certain context to move on. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that just comes from at least, I don't know, you know, I think even though it was recorded more recently when things were locked down, um, Mm -hmm. I was still like mulling things over in my head. I was like rehearsing it, you know, like someone would rehearse sheet music, rehearsing a lot of the lyrics and then being like, okay, now it's time to punch in and record it. So there was a level of like um, ritual in the recording, like you would in a, in, in a live performance. You know, I always like to do that when I record. It's like, all right, am I just going through the motions or like, you know, I'll put too much pressure. But it's like, okay, is, am I actually like making this something special? Like, I mean, yeah. this special doesn't have to have too much weight, but it's like, are we in it? Or are we just like filling the gaps with like what we've written? Totally. so yeah difficult question yeah. <laughs> i don't know but yeah I, I i would like to perform this with a band i think it's translatable it's all made on a laptop though so um <laughs> i need a musical director because i was guessing i just played shit over each other at a certain point you know i'm not really a very good guitarist only instrument i know how to play well is the bass and i can i can get on a drum kit if you need me to but I know nothing about chords or melody. <laughs> I, I guess I'm guessing. So. Yeah, you fake it well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, yeah. So Reese, I want to back up. Cause I, would, I definitely want to get into maybe probing a little more into kind of the writing and creation of the album. Um, mm-hmm. But first I want to step back. Cause I know, you know, the last time we met in person was at a show kind of during the release cycle for your previous album, Language, Al- Language Arts Unit. Yay. And maybe t- three, four weeks after that, uh, we were all on lockdown. Yeah. Um, so I- I'm a little bit curious. That was only a year ago? 
Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> with your yeah, hair, I'm... with your hair blown out right now, it just, it just <laughs> when you said, oh my God. It just... <laughs> I, I just felt my first gray hair sprout. I, like, see, I, saw, <laughs> I saw an image of you uh, as the scientist from Back to the Future. Doc Brown, Doc Brown, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move to the living room. I... Word, word. Um, but yeah, what I wanted to know is um, how did sort of going through, having to go through lockdown, having live performance, live performances kind of shut off from all of us. Um, how did that affect you as an artist who was kind of in the middle of an album release cycle? Um, and then how did that sort of maybe lead to the inception of your latest project? I think, uh, oh, my friend just texted me. He's hopping on World of Warcraft. Sorry, bro. I can't play right now. No. <laughs> We're in an instant. Got, got business. You got, exactly. the other, you got the other monitor. Just... Can't, I, can't D, I can't DPS right now. Um, uh, yeah, you know, um, I didn't quite realize how much it had depressed me. <laughs> Completely taken, like, a lot of my uh, heart out of my chest. Um you know, in some ways, um, do you know, because I think I'm getting a little bit, not quicker in terms of putting things out, but that was a project that was, was me collecting a lot of things over the years, you know, some of the beats on that project, there were skeletons from 2014, uh, some things fully intact from 2016. Um, you know, a lot of lyrics that were in bits and pieces, you know, just as old. Are you talking um, about language arts unit? Language arts unit. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Oh, no, sorry. Um, and so, you know, I think like everyone's like, it was my first product over like 30 minutes, the first, first full length, you could say. Mm -hmm. So I put a lot of tremendous, like kind of strain and pressure on it. Um, also the fact that it was like multimedia and I just had like, a bunch of different layers it was, it was working in. Um, it was like pretty fucking, yeah, it's was, it was pretty, pretty intense. You know, I had, a, I had two tours I had to, to cancel. Um, one of which was a little more up in the air would have been like a nice opportunity. Um, and, um, you know, I think it was interesting cause I took it in stride and, and I immediately started making stuff. Um, so that made me not realize how, how it was like, affecting me um but it's funny because i was working on this project uh stalin bollywood um lol um stalin bollywood uh it was actually starting to get in a phase where i was like oh there are four tracks that are almost done here mm -hmm. and four more that are pretty like pretty uh pretty hefty too um and I, I mean, I always, I always, I always create intermittently between everything. So there's stuff now that I'm working on as I'm stuff. That I'm, I already have seeds of whatever's going to come next. That's, that's, that's uh, cohering right now. Um, which I feel very lucky because I thought, especially in this time, going back to where we're talking about, you know, I worked on this project still in Bollywood and, um, a few other projects that I put out last year, um, two, two EPs, one that really didn't have my name on it. Um, and I felt like, you know, there was like so much energy I was pushing out and it was hard, I think, to find a way to intake 
stuff. Um, you know, I, I basically finished an EP that was written mostly in the quarantine called uh, Drug. I don't know. It's like a Welsh word. D W the D R W G. It came out on Death Bomb Mark. Gotcha. Um, and then another EP that was just really mixed. Um, but you know, it was like this thing of I think when when the world was a little bit more uh, communal in terms of people feeling safe to go outside and social. Uh, the randomness of life would give me a lot of stuff. And I think, you know, there came a point, I think it was like in July and in August, um, where like, I kind of felt like I was running out of spontaneity or like just randomness to, to reach to. Also, politically, you know, there's been such a fever pitch over the past like year that I was like, man, I don't like really want to like, talk politically anymore it just feels useless at this point like what 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 am i gonna say i mean like okay like uh, it's, it's, this is a point where like we just gotta like slap someone you know I just gotta, like you know just hit someone in like the face and just be like look at that part stop looking away um yeah and the fact that I don't know. I feel really grateful because I finished, you know, this project in, in July. I don't know if you can hear people outside. Finished this project in July of last year after working on it, in, you know, maybe in April and May of last year. So it's, it's already a year old in terms of the creative aspect of it, in terms of like the message and the meat of it. And it was in post-production, you know, in the summer of last year. So I haven't touched the content on it, really just the, the cover and the, the images that I took recently for it. Uh, for press and stuff. Um, I feel really fortunate that, like, it seems to still be resonating. Unfortunately, you know, that's kind of the counter, uh, it's kind of like the, 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 the unfortunate negative aspect, too, of, of the project, is it's like, damn, you know, if the world were better, uh, these problems I'm screaming about in, in, in sometimes obscenities would, would be irrelevant. You know, if, if it were really a world where things would progress, like, I don't know like you know <laughs> i wouldn't you know i wouldn't be communicating futility as much on the record um i don't know if that, that answers the question but there has been a certainly a um uh like a, a undulation a dip in and out of mm. of creating and doing things and it's you know i did a few live streams didn't really didn't really like didn't really replace shows at all um i felt like and, and it's really hard to feel progress in a certain sense i think after a show or after an event even if you're not performing you see someone that's like oh what are you doing i'm working on this um and then you you talk about something to someone that you took for granted working on or thinking about at a random bar or a party or art event or whatever or just even like walking down the block um and to not have that or to kind of try and do that online um the measures of progress have felt like really blurry, amorphous, if, if existent at all sometimes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've thought a lot about live streams over the past year because as someone who loves music and loves live music, I, I've missed out on most live streams and haven't made much of an effort to watch them and experience mm -hmm. them. And it's something I kind mm -hmm. of feel bad about because it's something I feel like I should, I should be supporting. I should be supporting my favorite artists. Um, and I think, part of it is maybe almost like this reminder. Like when I tune into a live stream, it's like this reminder of what I'm not experiencing 
And then that kind of like in the back of my head, I'm like, Oh, this could be so much cooler than what it actually is. And like props to the artists and props to all the people that put in all this work to do this. But it's like, you miss out. There's something that's, that makes the act of um, when you go to a show and when you take the time out to like get the ticket or wait in line, park your car, like it's just, it's little thing. Talk to people in line, talk to people on the patio, talk mm-hmm. to the artists after they get off stage. It's these little things that just make the experience so much more special. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that it, it speaks to sort of a larger maybe issue in the arts where when things are super accessible and when, when it's literally just like at the touch of a button, I can get every movie and every TV show. And now, you know, every single concert that I want to see, there's an element that takes out what makes those experiences special. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not not entirely sure if it's dependent on being places. And, And I also understand that there's an element of like, privilege from the standpoint of being in a city like there are people probably in like the middle of america who are like super super into underground hip-hop in la who are like oh man now i get to watch all these concerts i never got to see before because <laughs> people are doing live streams mm-hmm. um but That's a good point i'm curious if you have any thoughts on maybe the enduring um do you think the format of live streams is going to endure beyond the pandemic once shows you know in-person shows open up again um and if so like what role do you kind of see them playing hmm. um i see uh, what would i what i would hope is i hope that there is more integration um of live in-person things and live streamed uh, events i know that a lot of people did that before that was obviously a thing before people were live streaming stuff people who weren't local and I think, you know, that does something for uh, accessibility for disabled people, for people who are maybe uh, want to watch something archived or who have employment, you know, uh, concerns and stuff or like obligations as like parents. Um, and but a myriad of other things. Um, you know, I think more like having both uh, in the future. I, I am afraid that we are going to, uh, uh, this was like COVID instead of being the catalyst for like an economic restructuring due to revealing our system's weaknesses. Uh, it only like kind of entrenches convenience. My friend Ezra and I were, were fucking around talking. Uh, he's, a, he's an amazing uh, graphic novelist and writer, uh, illustrator. And he, he called, uh, it terminal convenience, uh, what, what we have right now. Um, and I thought that was just like, that's dark. Dude. That's fucking dark. Um, and, you know, I, I, I hope that, yeah, it's, it's more of an integrated, uh, hybrid model, uh, that, that, that happens going forth. Um, and I think on the other end, like, you know, in that, in that same regard, there'd be more, well, the thing that, made live streams not work for me and people have mentioned you doing stuff on discord and stuff or zoom but zoom's connection is connectivity is in the audio is so bad um having people perform and the audience has their cameras on because the thing that was hard about performing 
in live streams and it has been hard is that like I like to you, you see me I like to crack jokes. I like to say the wrong thing in the right way. Um to play on a level of and I think, you know, we're we're going back to a level of spontaneity, unpredictability, uh, when we talk about the essence of being there in person mm-hmm. um and feeling energy that you don't expect. Um yeah. You know, how can I see who I'm performing uh, 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 to, you know, uh, um, what ways can we make it more connected in, in, in that way? Um, I see it going in that direction. I, unfortunately for live stream stuff though, I, I don't know how a lot of people have done it. I think what it does is it also further um, entrenches the idea that artists' time and labor is free because I have not seen that many ticketed pay-per-view live streams. And, um, you know, if, if, like you said, if everything is available, you know, you might be subscribing to these streaming services. You might be, uh, you know, doing that. But the fact of everything being so available, you know, uh, um, I don't know if it's quite privilege in Mm -hmm. saying it as much as it is um like caution um you know caution about having the 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 limits of 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 everything all the time convenience surplus whatever you want to call it yeah Um, i think there is some pause to be to be uh uh, given for that uh to be had at that Mm -hmm. i think it's a good Um, point because i also think about now that i think further on it one of the cool things is when you would go to a show and see, you know, you meet someone who's like, Oh yeah, I drove down from Fresno to be here. Or like, yeah. you know, when I was in mm-hmm. Atlanta before like, Oh yeah, I drove from like, you know, whatever middle of nowhere, Tennessee. And it's like, and then it's like, it's this ad at South Carolina. It's like this added, like, wow, people like, you really wanted to see this artist. Like you really wanted to see, you know, go to this mm-hmm. kind of like underground show that you can't get in your hometown and then there's this other like added layer of like wow people like got in their cars they filled up their gas tank like drove two and a half hours four hours even like to go to this one show yeah yeah i think for me at least like my my feelings can be summed up by like that one photograph of jpeg mafia spitting in someone's mouth (laughs) who's in like the french (laughs) who's in the front row i think i saw that yeah and i'm like let me know when you can do that over twitch Cause like, <laughs> yeah. And until then, like, I don't know. It's just like, I'm filled with like a few different emotions. Like the first or a few different ideas. Like, did we learn nothing from Spotify? Like, and you know, and I think it's obviously amazing and the new audiences that it can provide artists. Um, but not so amazing in how it allows people to devalue their work and normalize that when the profits go directly into some CEOs pockets, and so, I mean, yeah, I just, I, I worry that we're taking all of the wrong parts of the digital model for like this new analog for live performance that we're starting, um, that we've created and mm-hmm. maybe that'll change as, you know, live venues open back up. But if, if we are going to shift toward this sort of companion model where like you can have both, uh, you can have the j you know, peggy spit in someone's mouth while someone in alabama gets to watch from the comfort of their couch like i think that's that's a future i'd love to live in but like not if it means that like you know peggy has to do that for a quarter of what he's worth every night and that's what scares me you finished this album you said last july right 
Uh, I think last July I had the first round of Masters, and then I heard something over the uh, next two months. Yes, it was finished. I'm just adding details. Um, yeah, I was finished, mastered, and then I wanted uh, zero. The I don't know if you know, you know zero, right? The, yeah, zero mastered it because um, he mastered some of the stuff uh, from the homie Idris, and I was like, oh, okay, you can work in alt like lo-fi shit. Let me send you this. Uh, I'm not gonna master it myself. I would. Yep. I I definitely stay out of that. Um, September of last year, it was finished. Audio was finished, um, and I wanted to put it out in October. Uh, of last year and then something else came out and I put out the end of the year and I was like anyway don't have a visual aesthetic don't have the content to support it right now you know mm-hmm. so that's yes. how much of the oh sorry I was gonna ask because you know how much of that uh you know the environment around the release like d- on a scale of like you know kind of fun to pulling teeth like how does that feel the, oh, uh, the you mean artwork, the everything except the music. <laughs> it's kind of a big question, I guess. It's a lot of things. But. I have done most of the artwork for my releases. This one, I had my friend Caetano, who's like a really old friend of mine, to, to draw a version, a Stalin version of me. Uh, if you look at the cover, it's like a, you know, black and red and has like a side profile of me kind of sketched um, like nice. an old propaganda poster. Um you know, I was cool to wait for that because I was like, I just don't want to be involved in that. Um, I think there was probably a lot of carryover from, like, my disappointments around the releases last year. Where I was just like, I want to just do the audio, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm fucking done. Like, I just, I want to make it quick and easy. And then it started to seem complicated. So, I, like, I put it down and didn't think about it until, like, January of this year. Really? So it, it normally it's easier, but for this one, I think I was getting over a lot of, a lot of work, right? Yeah, uh, I feel that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of lives and careers got kicked in the nuts last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I mean, I know you with your project, uh, I was listening to again. I was just oh, like thanks, random, randomly. I wasn't even like, it wasn't even because I knew you were on this. I don't know why I came across it. Um, yeah. Again, once the more. I mean, that was incredible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I know you like did a very like involved multimedia, um, yeah. like non-narrative narrative, you know. Um, yeah. And that that was, I mean, I really appreciate that because that's that's my my take too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with this, I was like, this is totally not necessarily new territory in terms of what I'm what I've been thinking about, but just like sonically definitely trying to come out of left field on people it yeah took, I, mean, I think it took a while for me to figure out what i wanted to do mm-hmm. yeah i mean sonically you know just to address the elephant in the room it's obviously a departure in sound for you mm-hmm. um, i think i told you over email it, it's a departure in sound but it doesn't seem like a departure in spirit um do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about just some of the choices you made regarding your approach to genre, your approach to sound, um, instrumentation, uh, you're singing a lot more on this record in addition to rapping. Um, what was going into some of those choices? It's something I really want to do for a while is explore new territory. I think I'm like working in this on what what I'm working on next. So even in a much, in a much different way, a type of transition or a type of reinvention, um, 
uh, I remember like there was uh, you know early on in my um, in my life, you know, my when I was really like a, a, you know a young kid, uh, a lot of stuff that we played in the house was a lot of like alternative rock, new wave, uh, you know, nineties nineties rock, um, and then my brother <clears throat> got into punk rock music as his way to rebel because the house, the, the music in the house was already cool. So we had to go even more hardcore again. He's like, fuck this, this shit is, and I don't care mom that you're listening to Thomas Dolby and fucking Peter Gabriel and, and you know, and, and Iggy, Iggy Pop and the Stooges. I got to go harder and listen to the casualties, you know, whatever. Um, you know, that bled over into my influence. Me being the younger brother, he's five years older. I was just like, Oh, I like, I want to be into punk rock too, you know, but I didn't really have like my own taste, but it, you know, it's a strong impression on me because the shit was good. You know, it was like a lot of classic, classic punk and, and alternative music and, and stuff like that. But there was always, I think like in the house, you know, we, we grew up, you know, in the West coast, there's like, we always heard, you know, like Snoop Dogg and, and Dr. Dre and a lot of other, you know, uh, shit playing and stuff. But I think like really in, in, in the house, that kind of, I forgot how much that was like baked into my early childhood. Like I remember at six years old or something, I was asking my mom to buy me a Depeche Mode CD for my, birth, for my birthday or something, you know, <laughs> it's just really, really funny. Um, and you know, I mean, a lot of my, I try my best not to go here, but a lot of my music, you know, a lot of my choices and a lot of my topics are, you know, just centered around identity. Um, and I think this for me was like, you know, regardless of how people perceive me, how I want to be perceived, you know, as a, as a Jewish artist, a black artist, a, 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 um, an American of uh, partial African descent, whatever, uh, you know, and all the baggage that comes with that, all the baggage that comes with being ethnically ambiguous, whatever. Um, you know, I realized that, like, I was always kind of combating racial performance in a lot of the music I was making. And I had to realize something like, this music will be blank music because I'm making it regardless. Mm -hmm. Like if someone wants me to be a Jewish person, this will be, this will be Jewish punk music. If someone wants me to be a black person, if I communicate that enough, this is, this is black music. Um, They're going to call now, it a rap album. Like the, you know, like the new Tyler the creator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, you know, I had to realize like, I'm, and it, it was it was less conscious than that but it was just like you know i'm making the music that like i'm realizing damn these influences are fucking strong like i really like this type of like i really you know this is like kind of some of like the bedrock of my my musical dna right here yeah also um you know the the album i think there's an album you know that a lot of people talk about you know when they're like 13 or whatever when they're in their teens and it blows their mind i think my mom had received a promotional copy of tv on the radio's return to cookie mountain mm. and i heard that and i was like whoa like this shit is like accessible like you're not accessible it's like yo this is like great like pop songs but like this shit is weird as fuck and then i was like oh these dudes are black too whoa I'm crazy um you know and that shit like uh, that really opened my mind a little bit. Um, even in the moment, I didn't really like say it like that. Um, I think there was always like, you know, a way to think about, um, always a way for me that I was like, um, kind of working towards 
being as as misdirecting as I am now in the terms of like I've I've been making rap music. Now I'm gonna make rap shit that like is produced using guitars. And um it it happened a lot more naturally just because I kind of got tired of like sampling and, and like programming drums a certain way. I was just like, let me try this and then things just got out of hand and like <laughs> things came together, you know? Um yeah. It just—it really was like that. So I know that sounds like meandering. It sounds like a lot of fucking personal baggage there, whatever. Um, you know, it, the production of it was so—I didn't even think that these were anything at all worth exploring. Like I just was like trying to make things that weren't like beats, you know. I think that's good though, man. I mean, beyond just like you know switching to a different practice like you you use it sounds like you really drew from a place that meant something to you and like whether or not it was used for this grand personal statement is almost irrelevant but like mm-hmm. it seems like it uh you know it, it it carries some substance with it because of that yeah i mean you know i i, I also do think that like you can put you know, a cultural thing on this, you can put a, a racial ethnic political thing on this i am afraid of particularly like um, I don't have a problem with electronic music, you know, not to just toot your horn right here, but I think, you know, like what you did is really cool. Like there's a lot of electronic music where things are unpredictable. I think right now in a lot of pop music and a lot of hip hop music, which has intersections with like race and class and like a sort of performance of that, whether that's neo minstrelsy or whatever, yeah. there's a lot of predictability and a lot of, um, a lot of people like turning themselves into computers and turning themselves into machines and algorithms of predictability. Mm -hmm. Um, And moving forward, you know, I really saw how I was like responding to um, trends. And I was, you know, I made songs that had 808s and like, you know, kind of had like, you know, catchy choruses that repeated and I even like, you know, would glue choruses. So they all sounded the same and fit really nicely. But like really having some incongruence and being like, Hmm, you know, like, do I have to participate in this as expected, you know? And whether that's coming from a place of privilege where I can think outside of it or yeah. not, I was just like, I'm not going to turn myself, if I'm using a computer, I want to make this shit have some, for lack of a better word, soul in it, you know? Like, have some movement and have some randomness, have some, like, shit that's going to make you dig out. Like, I'm not trying to auto-tune the beauty out of my... Uh, 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 randomness or, or, or you know cut, cut and paste eight bars you know right so it was, it was important for that and nonetheless just like saying shit declaratively a little bit some of the titles you know are a little more declarative and that's <laughs> yeah, I'm not even gonna lie I got so <laughs> I got 15 seconds into the first track like cause I started listening to it in the middle of my day like I had some other stuff to do and then I heard the chorus or, and like, I, you know, I read the title of it. I'm like, yeah, this is going to have to wait until later. Like this is, this needs some undivided attention. I and that's, that. I think that's a fantastic thing. There are a few things that make me stop in my tracks like that and then actually pay. Oh. Yeah. Mm. I hope, you know, people, people, um, people take a chance on it and realize that it's not what it sounds like. You know, it can sound like something that's Islamophobic or something that's like insensitive, but it's, it's much more, 
It's much more outside. You know, I'm saying I, 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 I am, I am blasphemy itself. You know, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I, 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 I hate, you know, or I, I disrespect, you know, tradition or something. Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot of moments like that. And I think where it's like using, using edginess, um, which has been totally like overused, using edginess in a, in a, in a way that gets people to, uh, 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 maybe uh, uh, subvert their expectations, mm-hmm. you know, and not just like rely on their worst instincts. I know that you have th- a lot of thoughts about genre because you mm-hmm. write a lot about genre. You wrote a lot about genre um, in your book. And something that really stood out to me was you made a point to draw a distinction between rap music and hip hop um, mm-hmm. with rap referring to a musical technique a performance technique, a vocal technique, um, and hip hop referring to, I, I believe what you said was being part of a larger tradition of skirting permission to proceed. Yeah, there you go. That, that's, 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 that's what I said, you know, yeah, to, um, with commercialization, you know, happening for hip hop very fast. Um, you know, we can't talk about purity really that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, in the sense of what I'm doing here, you know, like hip hop and punk, uh, have that similar ethos, um, in just terms of like, you want to do it, you go and get it. And, um, you make something out of nothing. Um, and you might, or even if you have something, you do it and you don't ask permission. Um, and I know the slippery slope there, you know, in terms of, whatever rappers like Tom McDonald who are like alt-right rappers now or whatever. Um, but no, I think it's an important distinction. Like, I mean, Jimi Hendrix and blues musician, you know, blues musicians mm-hmm. were rapping Jimi Hendrix on, I mean, listen to, uh, uh, castles made of sand, you know, mm-hmm. like he's not even singing tones there really like he's not even singing on keys, just like rhythmically talking over his guitar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The breakdown um, from if six was nine could easily have been released like a year ago. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, um, I think, and and the way rap has been used synonymously, um, you know, because hip hop, I mean, you know, is 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 a culture. It is a, a a culture, and in that, you know, there's there at least was or still is in some forms like a, a political rooting consciousness um, of taking something recontextualizing and making your own. Um, that's been, that's been, you know, in, in, uh, used by marginal, that, that's a, that's a framework of thinking by, you know, marginalized people, uh, not in this country across the world, people who have, you know, had to survive in certain ways, uh, you know, do certain things, you know, whether that's like, you know, um, black people uh, who were enslaved reading by candlelight, you know, hiding you know, from uh, people who believe they own them to, you know, um, uh, Chinese uh, immigrants using the uh, corporate, uh, the corporate uh, uh, business structure to buy property when they were discriminated against um, from owning, you know, uh, land and, and property and having citizenship. Um, you know, there's a ways of making, you know, uh, repurposing the lack, making the lack into lemons that lemonade, whatever. 
Um, and I think rap, because it is so lyric forward, and there is a message that can be so co-opted and utilized and, and made, uh, made small, made diminutive, um, the, it's perfect both for being uh, a tool of simplification, because it's very accessible, and a tool of, like we were talking about earlier, you know, expansion, going, instead of, instead of keeping things here, the starting point is here to which you expand. People are not going to see my hands, you know, um, I realize. Um, so I think it's really important, you know, and I think, uh, uh, you know, I'm just have a lot of racial trauma in my life. So I, I, I always go there, but I, I think about, you know, um, how rap and hip hop have been used interchangeably because of who performs them. Uh, who, who performs the, the, the practices um, and who is expected to fill out certain roles in terms of how certain things um, sound. And it's very easy to simplify that when it's just like, um, I don't know, it's coming from a, uh, 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 it's coming from a source that is already easy to be stereotyped mm-hmm. and made into something that's compressed and simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important, you know? Yeah. And just for a simple fact of like rapping has been done without hip hop before, but also, you know, um, pop rap is not necessarily hip hop. You know? Right. Just, it's, it's not, it, it's, it's pop music right. without, without like using melody for the lyrics that much. And now it is using melody. Now, now, now exactly. rap yeah. is R and B. You know, rap is it's yeah. really no difference. Um, you mentioned this also in your book. Um, you mentioned something to the effect of rap music being post appropriation, mm-hmm. but not fully gentrified. Well, um, because we're all black people here, I'm going to use this word. Um, there in America, and I think the American imperialist consciousness and cultural consciousness that has invaded the rest of the world, rap, I think, still represents in terms of its adherence to like its origins in some kind of ghetto fantasy. There always has to be whether that person is actually. African or not, or of African descent, or who, who looks black, or who is who is racialized as black, there always has to be a nigger. It's going to shift, you know. And I think rap very much so um, centers around that, right? Where you have this proximity of like uh, white performers and non-black performers, you know. And I think that's a designation we have to constantly rearticulate: non-black and white don't mean the same thing. Um, you know, um, they're not interchangeable. Um, you know, there, there, there is a, to a certain extent, I think rap culturally represents this American need for uh, a permanent shadow, a permanent underclass, um, in the sense of like, you might have rap, um, that is what people would call evolved, but it only is evolved because there is the shadow of, of 
something of, of a cultural baggage consciousness kind of lingering mm-hmm. in the back. I mean, that's how I see it. I don't know if that makes, I don't know if that makes sense if that's like succinct enough. Um, no, I mean, that I think totally makes sense. To won't me. ever be gentrified because you always need, America needs like a thug sambo archetype always. And rap has most clearly crystallized that I think in the imagination. I wanted to get into just uh, some of the recording around the new album. Cause I think it's really cool that you did all the instruments and that, yeah. is, that it has this live band feel, but you kind of did everything on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, is this all yeah. done like in a home studio? Yeah. Everything was done in the home studio. All the drums were programmed. Um, some of them were just like, uh, old, there's an old surf rock record that I listened to, uh, for a while. And there's like a, just an isolated drum track. One of the tracks was like a drum solo. <clears throat> so I took some chops from that, used that on a few of the tracks. Um, but a lot of it was just like me putting effects on, a uh, emulated, uh, TR-808. Mm. Um, and just like really fucking around that way. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was a realization like, whoa, if I just like change the BPM and kind of like the structure, cause I'm not someone who had any musical training. So I was just like, if I just like change a few things, it's a completely different genre. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Um, and as I mentioned, I played bass, like, you know, it's my only instrument I ever really tried to learn. I never really committed to it. Um, but I played it a little bit, um, before this you know i had it on a few beats of mine that came out and stuff uh but this was a really time for me to like you know i started it was like actually you know actually chugging on the bass you know and and, and cutting up and i did it in the sense of hip-hop where there's a lot of things that i play out completely live uh i could play it completely uh continuously and a lot of stuff that i chopped up and did it like beat style you know mm-hmm. it's like eight bars of me playing bass four bars of me doing a guitar loop and make it imperfect sounding so it sounds like there's a little slip you know a little bit more of a feel like it's not exactly chopped up and duplicated um yeah a lot of that you know um and as i said before like there are a lot of things that i didn't think or anything that i just like recorded to off the cuff like the first track pulls on my dick because it looked like a drawing of the prophet muhammad um you know i played that out all the instruments and then i was like oh shit like that was in 2018, actually, like late, 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 maybe to late 2018. Put that out. That track was done at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I played it out in that moment, and like I reached for a verse that I had written a few months prior, and I just glued that chorus to that verse, and it was the perfect length of the instrumental that I just played off the cuff. And I, you know, because it was like that, I didn't think it was anything. So there are a few tracks like that that I did. Um, and then some of them that I really kind of more labored over. Um, I think the single I just put out, which was the uh, Israel-Palestine song, <laughs> Two-State Solution to Silk Eye Contact, um, that one was definitely more arranged, more thought out, evolved more. I, I had the, one of the few samples I used, I used this drum loop from this post-punk record, I'm not going to name, to start it out. Um, and then everything around it I built. Um, but it was a really cool way to honestly, like, learn how to write songs in a different way just through trial and error um and having you know i feel lucky at least i like to be able to say that like my my um skills my abilities are always catching up to my taste you know i would hate to be someone who could do everything but like 
the things that I want to do are like kind of butt, you know? Um, so, um, recorded over a long period. I think the only thing I really recorded that recently was the TV on the radio cover. That was the track seven. Um, and the Israel-Palestine two-state solution and the Pope is an unrepentant rapist. Everything else was like recorded in maybe early 20, early to mid 2019, 2018. Um, I, oh, and the Dirty White Boy song, that was roommate fallout man roommate fallout i was so heartbroken i had to write a song about it i just felt amazing i just i just it just hurt me so much so like i was a maid you know like i was a maid in my own home Uh and uh (laughs) i just had to to fucking go in um you know so from i guess from what you can hear you know a lot of the project um you know, was composed during the time when I would be writing, when I would, I, when I would have been working on language arts unit and other things. Um, but it just didn't come that clearly that it was a, a, a solidified thing until, like, it was already there. Sometimes you just realize what you have. Um, so it was recorded in bits and pieces, and, you know, I mixed it all myself, uh, which was really nice uh, because it felt like, like if I could do that, I could I could work on anything really. You know? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I, I was curious, like, uh, what your chain looked like because the bass sounds do sound really really good. Um, and I personally find it really hard getting good tones out of just running a bass guitar through an interface. My uh, my stepdad gave me a birthday present of like a vintage precision bass, um, and that shit is just like. <laughs> nasty um i was running that and that just has a good tone uh through like a shitty bass pedal into my amp EQing it there and then Mm. into into the interface so there was a bit of a signal flow there i could adjust it um but the the pure tone of the bass was there i'm very grateful i think having that bass being gifted that bass um allowed me to really like um hear the potential for myself to play better mm-hmm. and then, you know then i was borrowing occasionally i'd borrow my roommate's guitar that i was living not alone and then i got a guitar and i think only on a few of the tracks or my actual guitar before i was just stealing my roommate's guitar here and there and being like ah, can i like hack it out this way i don't know this way or this way um you know it was it was i'm you know i feel like I've worked enough in composing and making and recording things that like I knew how to get good captures um, of things, but then how to shape them to further, further to like the stage that I really wanted and needed them to be. Um, were you running the guitar through that same signal chain, like through your amp with some EQ there as well? Um, some of it was like, yeah, some of it was through the amp. Um, and then some of it was, through this like i i stole it from my stepdad um <laughs> this uh, um guitar pod like uh, it's like a, a, a amp emulator so i was using that too so it, you know it was it was made for like you know people who don't have an amp and stuff so i was emulating uh, a sound through that and some of it was just like a clean guitar sound that i would use i would i use logic nine because like i have 
cracked Rage plugins that are 32-bit, and I don't want to lose any of them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was just using that and, like, emulating stuff. They have, like, the Maserati or whatever, the Chris Lloyd Algae plugins that are, like, you know, whatever. Um, and just feeling like, okay, what could work? How could I bring these out and stuff? And as you know, like, I have a lot more. I don't necessarily have a lack, but maybe a more lack of knowledge. Um, you know, just, like, kind of putting things together as they, they fit in. It was, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a journey for you, just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then, like, how do you approach recording tracking your vocals um especially in a situation where you maybe have roommates or maybe in like you know i don't know if it was an apartment or what like um Mm -hmm. the vocals especially on this new project you know you go into louder you know noisier territory territory um Mm-hmm. what's your the approach early, to doing that in like a home studio environment the earlier tracks were recorded when i had uh two roommates and i just found time honestly when they were not there or when they were there and being like oh it's sure you can make enough noise and i just feel like okay i'm not self-conscious let's just do this um and then in my the new recordings were at an old apartment i was it was like a shoebox, but it was on a corner and there was just a bunch of noise um and actually the whole thing was recorded on sm58 a performance dynamic microphone like the ones that y'all using right there yeah. um and i just nice. you know i just dialed in the game um shaped it and you know it yeah it just you know got got it to work to a certain extent i find that the sm58 actually i record a lot more than i don't do it um mm-hmm. i heard that's what bono records on actually Mr. the uh, <laughs> it sounds like your secret is having really good ideas and a can-do attitude <laughs> yes sir <Bob. laughs> I, I know it's, it sounds kind of silly but like yeah no it, like it sounds fucking good and like I, I think partially because like you know it's it's an aesthetic that's very kind to um to, to lower budget gear i guess but like yeah just make sure you don't clip and the rest will kind of work itself out i guess mm-hmm. yeah no definitely and a precision I, base is nothing to nothing to sneeze at <laughs> thank you signal process is produced by program change dedicated to inspiring and celebrating the independent music community that's all the time we have this week folks i want to thank my guest reese Langston. i want to thank my co-host chandler tipton and i want to thank you all for listening this far if you want to help support the podcast the best way to do so is to leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever it is you listen to podcasts If you've already left us a review, thank you so, so, so much. And keep in mind that there's nothing stopping you from leaving another review on another platform if you so choose. Till next time, stay safe and much love, y'all.